0: How many of you are ready for God's Word this morning? I tell you, we've had wonderful moments already, just ready in our hearts and opening our hearts through worship and praise to God. And now we're going to receive His Word. And what a wonderful, wonderful blessing the Word of God is to our lives to enrich us, to build us up, to encourage us. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a series of messages that we are calling the greatest of exchange because the greatest of exchanges has taken place that now we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has taken all of our poverty and sin so that we might inherit all of the blessings of salvation all of the riches of eternal life are in Him, and we have them because our lives live in Him, move in Him, and have our being in Him. We are rich beyond measure, rich with life, rich with peace, rich with everything that He has. It's all been transferred. To our account. Oh, how wonderful He is. Oh, how good and how loving He is to do such a thing for us, to bless us with everything that He has and transfer it over to our lives. The greatest of exchanges has taken place for you and I in Christ Jesus. And the title that I've chosen for today's message is, There's More to You Than Meets the Eye. There's more to you than meets the eye. I don't know if you've ever thought about your life in that way, but you just have to open the Word of God to see it, almost on every page in full color. It's so true that there's more to you than meets the eye. What would it be like if we woke up every day really believing that, that there's more to us than meets the eye? There's more to us than the wrinkles that we see in the mirror at the end of every day. There's more to us than the beauty that's slowly fading through age. There's more to the failing memory that isn't so sharp anymore as it once was. There's more to you, there's more to me than the sicknesses and the ailments that try to attack our bodies that we go to the doctor about. There's more, much, much more to you and to me than meets the eye more to you than meets the eye, because God says there is. God says there's more to you. That's who declares it. God says that there is more to you than meets the eye, and that is what makes all the difference. It's because God has declared it. It's because God has pronounced it. It's because God has stated it, over your life. That's what makes all the difference. God doesn't define or describe us by how we look, praise God. No, God doesn't describe you or define your life on the basis of your looks or by what job you have or what job you don't have. He doesn't describe you by the house you live in or the side of town that you grew up in. Because remember, he was born in a stable. Born in a cattle shed. Laid in an animal feeding trough. That's where he was born. Isaiah picturing how Jesus looked said in Isaiah 53, verse 2, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. Nobody was attracted to Jesus. He grew up on the wrong side of town, was born in the wrong place, and and the town that He had grown up in had such an awful reputation of nothing good ever coming from it from it. It was called Nazareth. That's where he came from. That's where he came out of, but there was more to Jesus than met the eye. More to him, far more to him than we ever realized. He was more than just the carpenter's son from Nazareth. Looks can be deceiving, can't they? You know, we often say you can't judge a book by its cover, and it's so true. And you couldn't just judge Jesus by His appearances that we weren't attracted to because the Bible tells us that there, were far, that there was far more to Jesus than meets the eye, because He was God incarnate. The Word made flesh came into our world to redeem man and save them, save us from sin. When they heard Him speak, they said, never Has such a man ever spoken like this before? Everything he touched was transformed. There was more to Jesus than physical appearance. There was more to Jesus than met the eye. And now that we're in Him, there's more to us too than meets the eye. You see, because God sees you in Christ Jesus, He sees you as perfect. He sees you as brand new. And we need to start to believe this. We need to start seeing our lives as God sees them. Because God doesn't think about our lives in the way that we think about our lives. We're not who we think we are. We're who God says we are. That's who we are. We're who He says we are. Not who people label us to be, not who even we say we are. We are who He says we are, who He declares us to be. That's who we are. Why don't you turn to the person next to you for a moment, look them in the eye, and say to them, there's more to me than meets the eye. Go on. There's more to me than meets the eye. There really is. There is more, more, far more than you can ever imagine, than you can ever think or ask for. There is more to you than meets the eye, and we have the Word of God to prove it and to declare it and to stand in it and to be confident by it. The very Word of God assures us That there's more beyond the wrinkles that we see in the mirror. There's more beyond the fading beauty that the years put on us. There's more than the sicknesses and the ailments that try to attack our bodies that we go to the doctor about. There's more than the fading memory that was once sharp. I mean, my God, I put the keys down sometimes and I can't remember where I put them a few seconds before. But there's more to me, there's more to you than all of these earthly things because of who we are in Christ Jesus, hallelujah. Praise God. There's more to you, there's more to me than meets the eye. I'm not going to say this this morning, but let me say it. What is the Bible? What does Paul say to us? We are the very workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus. You're the handiwork of God. You're his masterpiece that he never takes his eyes off or releases the hand of his spirit from. More to you, far more to you than you've ever dreamed or imagined. The Apostle Paul wanted Every believer to understand this, in Ephesians chapter 1, he tells us how he continually prayed for the believers in Ephesus that they might see with the eyes of their understanding the rich life that God had called them all to live in. Listen to Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, starting from verse 16 through to verse 20. He says this, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope "...to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and that His incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms." Paul wanted believers everywhere to see the new realities that they had through their lives in Christ. Maybe they'd never seen them before, maybe they'd never woken up to them. Maybe they'd never understood them, but Paul continually strove in prayer for his fellow brothers and his fellow sisters just to see, just to get a glimpse, just to understand of all of the riches that was theirs in Christ Jesus. These people hadn't had a physical makeover As a result of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing had changed about their outward appearance. Oh, but inwardly, inwardly, the change, the transformation was so glorious, so huge, so massive in God that Paul just wanted them to open their eyes, to see it, to understand it. To, be, to begin to process it and to live and enjoy the fullness of it in Christ Jesus. It's a supernatural life. It really is that we have in Jesus, and I'm telling you, each and every one of us know it. We do. We have this life inside of us as a result of being in Christ You see, what was true for those believers back in Ephesus is true for every single one of us. We need to open our eyes. We need to see with wonder all of the glories that are ours now in in Jesus. We need our eyes of understanding to be enlightened and to see that there's more. There's more to you meets the eye. Now last week we looked and read from Romans chapter 4 verse 25. This is where Paul gives us an amazing summary of what Jesus has done for us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. This actually happened, praise God. It happened. And here in this verse, verse 25 of Romans 4, Paul summarizes it Wonderfully. In verse 25 of Romans 4, Paul wonderfully encapsulates the sacrificial work of Jesus as our sin bearer and justifier. Let me just read it to you again, because you can never read this verse enough. You can never read it too many times, because they point to the very reason why we have abundance of life in Christ. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul says this, Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Let me read it again. Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Oh, I love these words. I love these words. I tell you, I love these words because they single Jesus out. That's what they do. They single Jesus out from every other human being that has ever walked on the face of this planet. No one on this earth has ever had such distinguishing words spoken of them to mark them out in the history of our world and for all eternity as these that refer to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was delivered up for our offenses, and raised for our justification these words identify jesus and single out jesus like no other person hallelujah i believe it's in acts chapter 4 it declares there is one name under heaven there is one name under heaven And it's not some fat cat billionaire that has a lot of money. It's not politicians or some pop star that knows how to tickle and play with our emotions. There is one name under heaven by which man might be saved. No other name but Jesus. Hallelujah. He has been given the name above all names that at the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Come on, you know it. At the name of Jesus, every knee, come on, let's say it. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and even under it. All the devils will one day say it. Jesus is Lord. And we are just, we've got the privilege of declaring it before it happens. It will happen. Praise God, it really will. These words mark Jesus out like no other human being. Praise God. Distinguish Him for all time. Mark Him out and distinguish Him for all eternity because He did. He has done what no other could do and He did it so freely and willingly when he died on the cross, went to the grave and rose from it to justify us in God. He nailed all of our offenses, every sin you've ever committed or will commit. He nailed it to his cross forever. He rose from the dead, having paid in full the price to set us free from sin's condemnation and power over us. He broke its hold, and he destroyed the power of death. Now, if that doesn't put joy in your heart, if that doesn't put a skip in your step, oh, praise God. If that doesn't get you dancing, I tell you what, I was a bit of a mover in my time. I'd be on the dance floor in the school disco. The girls would be around me, and I'd be kicking them all. Praise God, come on. Oh, I love this music. Get out of my way. I was a good dancer. But I tell you what, if that doesn't put joy in your heart, if that doesn't put a skip in your step, then what I'm about to read will. Because there's more that we're going to move on to this morning. In a moment, we're going to read from Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. So we're just going to move on one verse. It's going to be a new chapter. But from Romans 4.25, we're going to now move into Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Because Paul in these two verses has far more to tell us about the wonderful things that are justification in Christ has produced, there's so much more, so much more that he has to tell us that the Word of God wants to announce over our lives. Verse 1 of Romans 5 begins with the word, therefore. And Paul used this word very purposefully in verse 1 because he was connecting all of what he had previously said and spoken in the first four chapters of Romans to what he would say in Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, verse 1 and 2, Paul now is not arguing his point as he'd been previously doing through the four previous chapters. Now, in the first two verses of Romans chapter 5, Paul is simply stating the glorious outcomes for those who have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus. Listen to Romans 5, verse 1 through to verse 2. He says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into This grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, Paul was on the earth when he wrote these words. He was actually in a prison when he wrote it. He wasn't complaining about the five-year period that he'd been locked up in a Roman cell. No, he was rejoicing. He was rejoicing. And he was writing these words from prison. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In just these two verses, Paul is calling us all to see our lives in a whole new way, because now in Christ, everything about our lives before God, everything about our lives before God has forever been transformed. And over the next few weeks, voice is going a bit squeaky, weeks, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at four wonderful truths from what Paul is saying to us in these first two verses of Romans chapter 5. We're going to pick out four points or outcomes of our justification because whilst being justified declares that we are innocent before God and free from all guilt, acquitted of every single charge that could ever be held against us, Paul here in Romans chapter 5 points out that there's even more. Now, if all of that that I've just said wasn't good enough, and it is more than we can ever ask for, Paul now is coming into chapter 5 to tell us that there's even more. There's even more than being innocent before God, acquitted of all wrong standing in His presence, free of all guilt and shame. There's more, Paul says, for you and I. Such is the wonder, such is the provision of salvation in Christ Jesus for you and I. The first point that we're going to look at and spend all of our time in today is from verse 1. Where Paul shows us that now in Christ we have unbreakable connection with God. That's the point really I want to make this morning. That's the point that I want you to take away from this place today. And really allow it to marinate and simmer in your heart and your mind. You have an unbreakable connection. You really do. You have an unbreakable connection with God. That's that's the certainty that justification by faith gives us. How many people here this morning, quickly put your hand up. You have placed your trust. You can confidently say you have placed your trust and your faith in Jesus. Put your hand up. Hallelujah. To be your Savior. Wonderful. Well, as a result of that, you're justified. You're justified. And you see, Paul says, he says, having been justified. Let me make a little point here that's not in my notes. He says, having been justified. You see, this is important. Justification is not progressive. Justification is instantaneous a settled state, a verdict pronounced over your life the moment you place your faith in Christ. Hallelujah. Let every devil in hell hear it. Praise God. Justification. Sanctification is progressive, and we could, we could look and we could do a study on that. It's worked by us being obedient to the Word of God, Interacting and fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. It's it's progressive. But your place and position of justification before God is not progressive. It will not grow any more than what it is it is settled. It's pronounced once and for all, forever. Your life has been judged in Christ Jesus and the verdict over your life is justified. How did you get it? Not by working hard, not by trying to clean your act up, not by trying to, to, to list off a million promises of how you're going to be faithful to God. How did you get it? Faith in Christ Jesus, Romans 1. Having faith Therefore, having faith, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith. That's what Paul says. We have peace with God. We have an unbreakable connection with God as our Father because we have peace with Him. You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. Your connection with God can never be broken because it's permanently based on the foundation of peace. It's permanent. It's eternal because we're justified in Christ Jesus. And the outcome of that, one of the outcomes of it, because there's many, is that we have peace with God. Nothing can break it down. Nothing can destroy it. Nothing can hinder it or interrupt the harmony that we have with God. This peace that we have with God is eternal and unbreakable not because of us. It's not dependent on what we do or what we don't do. It's established forever through what Jesus has done. When he said, finished, my work is complete, everything is done, it's all over, that's when this peace forever was established for those who would place their faith in him and be justified according to what he had done on the cross peace established forever peace between you and god that is permanent that means that your relationship with god will never be uncertain never ever be uncertain it will never be in a place of strife or tension It will always be harmonious. It will always be joyful. It will always be healthy and strong because it's established in peace forever. Think about it for a moment. Think for a moment about all of the wonderful relationships that you have with friends and family that are a part of your life every day. What a blessing! What a blessing they are. What a blessing it is to have friends and family. What a blessing it is to to just be in relationship with other people. They're a blessing in so many ways to our lives. And all of these relationships that bring laughter and joy, comfort and care, when we're most in need all of these relationships that help us along the way in life are built on a strong foundation of peace. If you're going to have a relationship, if you're going to have friends that stick around and walk through life with you and enjoy relationships and be there for one another, there will have to always be peace. Every relationship, in fact, is based on the foundation of peace. And only as a relationship is based and founded in peace will it thrive and grow and be everything that you want it to be. But without peace in our relationships... Pain and hurt and difficulties and challenges can soon set in. We all know it. The greatest of friends can become the greatest of enemies. Without peace, children can become estranged from their parents. Husbands and wives can be distant and divide. Friendships that were fun loving and fruitful can quickly close down. And the laughter that we once enjoyed with friends and family members is no more if there is no foundation of peace. But if peace is present, if peace is present, relationships are fruitful. Relationships are life-giving and joy-filled. Now, just like we need peace in our everyday relationships to see them thrive and grow and be fruitful and be everything that we, we desire them to be, Paul is telling us that now that we are in Christ, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Our lives, therefore, will and can always be joyful, fruitful, and abundant in Him. And what's more important to understand is the peace that we have with God is very different. It's very, very different to the peace that we experience with friends, And family and colleagues at work. The peace that you have with God is very, very different to the peace that you have with your friends and your family and your colleagues in work and people out there in life. Because the peace that we have with friends and family and colleagues in work often depends on what we do to Maintain it. And that's good. That's right. We all have a responsibility, one to another, to be at peace with one another. But, but, the peace that we have with God in Christ Jesus is very different from that because our peace with God is not based on us doing anything. Our peace with God is not based on us maintaining it. Our peace with God is not based on us frantically running around to try and please God to keep the peace intact. Or by us trying to do our best and sweating and working and wondering if the relationship is still good. No, 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 no. A long line, actually, to read in my notes, that was. No, not at all. Our peace with God is not like human peace that sometimes can be frail and it can fluctuate in uncertainty. Our peace with God is settled forever in Christ Jesus. When He shed His blood on the cross, Peace was established for us, unbreakable peace, permanent peace that can never be threatened by strife or our ability to maintain it or keep it up. As a result of us being justified by faith, there will, listen to this, there will never be anything about our lives that God will be offended by. Can you believe that? Will you accept that? As a result of being justified by faith in Christ Jesus, there will never, I'll prove it to you, I'll prove it to you this morning, there will never be anything about your life that would ever cause God to be offended for this, this peace to be threatened or for this peace to break down. This peace is established not by us, it's established by Jesus. Now, I was thinking about this. Just give me your imagination for a moment. Just imagine if you were called into God's office, and the message was received. God wants you in His office. God wants to see you in His office. Why does God want to see me in His office? Well, He has three things to say to you. Three things to say to me? My goodness. Now, little backstory. On occasions... I used to get called to the headmaster's office. <laughs> I know you wouldn't believe that. But on occasions, and remembering back, on many occasions, I used to get called to the headmaster's office. And even being called to the headmaster's office Struck fear in my little heart because I didn't know what was going to be waiting for me in the headmaster's office the other side of his door. So, to be called and invited into God's office to sit at his desk and listen to three things that he wants to tell me about my life, I mean, my goodness, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? Would such an invitation worry you? Would such an invitation concern you? Well, it should never. Because God only has good things, wonderful things, exceedingly great things that you, above your imagination, beyond what you can ask or think. He only has good things to say about your life. Now you are in Christ Jesus. So knock on the door, into the office I go. And I just imagine it. God would be sat there behind the desk with a big smile on his face. David, he'd say, take a seat. Glad you could make it. Oh, it's so good to see you. Love you so much. I'm excited. So excited. God gets excited. I am so excited about the three things I've got to tell you about your life. Dave, been watching your life, me and the angels, been seeing that you've been having a bit of a hard time recently, and we just wanted to call you up and remind you of these three things, because we want you to know there's more to you, son, than meets the eye. We know that when you look in the mirror, you're looking at that wide center part, and you're looking at that crooky nose and those two big radars on the side of your head. Son, we know that your, your, your self-image is a, beat, is a bit beat up, but we want you to know, Edwards. We want you to know, It's more to you, son, than meets the eye. I've called you into my office today to tell you three things that I'm really excited about in relation to your life. I want you to listen. I want you to listen carefully because I want you to get this, Dave. Okay, God, thank you. Sit there. He said, firstly, son, I want to tell you. You're holy. I'll say that again, Dave, just in case you didn't hear it. Dave, watch my lips. You are holy. And then, of course, after the angels had picked me up off the floor and seated me back in the seat... And after I'd recovered, after the shock that my mind had gone into, God would say, Dave, do you know what that means? Do you understand what I'm saying? You're holy. That means, Dave, you are as morally perfect as Jesus, my son. You're holy, Dave. (laughs) Morally perfect. My shoulders would go back you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. He said, but Dave, there's more. This really excites me, Dave, and it comes as a result of being holy. It's a second point, a fruit that comes from being justified. Not only are you holy, but Dave, you are blameless. No blame can ever be attributed to your life. You're blameless, Dave. And Dave, just before you leave today, to go back out into life, to go back out into your world, I just want to let you know that, and it's going to be like this forever, Dave. It's going to be like this for all eternity. And that's why there's always going to be peace between us, Dave. You stand you stand before me without fault. You don't have to cower. You don't have to crawl your way into my presence, you stand before me in my presence, faultless. You're holy, Dave. Do you know, Dave? You might have read in Revelation that the angels declare that I am holy. They say, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is. And who is to come? That's what the angels say about me, Dave. But do you know what I say about you, Dave? You're holy. You have the same nature, the same quality of character, Dave, as me. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. You're holy, Dave. You're blameless, Dave. And you're faultless so Dave you've got to start believing it you've got to start receiving it you've got to start seeing it and opening your mind to it and letting it saturate your understanding so it becomes processed in your daily life accept it receive it now that's not the over active imagination Of a pastor's mind. That is factual and actual that's based on the very revelation of God's word. That's how God describes you. That's how God describes me. Now that we have been reconciled to him in Christ Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 through 19 to Verse 23, he's speaking on God's behalf, carrying God's word to God's people. He says this, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But not anymore, praise God. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But watch this now. These next admonitions of the Apostle Paul, because it's important. But you must continue to believe this truth. Hold it firmly in your heart. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Every part of that is true, as incredible as it may seem for us to understand as incredible as it may seem for us to realize and process everything in Christ's bank account has been transferred over to our account all of his righteousness all of his goodness all of the riches of his life has now been deposited over to our life account before God and we are rich beyond measure. He became poor so that we might become rich. He became sin that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But Paul says that we must continue Listen, this is the challenge. This is the the call to all of us. We must continue to believe this. Stand firm in it. Don't drift away from it. Don't move from the assurance that we have received in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul say that? And I'm going to finish just in a few moments. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to finish in a moment. Why does Paul say, continue in this? Continue to believe. Don't drift away from this assurance. Why does he implore us in such a way? Well, because most days, most days, the accuser will tell you that you need to be holy. That's what he'll do. You need to be more holy. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You don't need to be more holy. You are holy. The Word of God has just said it. The the, the, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, will try to bring blame and and magnify our faults so that we stand condemned before God. No. No. We're holy. We're blameless. We we stand without fault before God. And Paul says, listen, don't drift away from this assurance. Don't allow the enemy to deceive you. Don't allow the enemy to bring shame and guilt. Don't allow the enemy to, to remind you of what's been forgiven and nailed to the cross anymore. You're holy and without fault. See, there's more to you than meets the eye. There really is. There's more to you than the wrinkles that you see in the mirror that the years have put on your brow. There's more to you, there really is, than the ailments and the sicknesses that try to attack your body that you go to the doctor about. There's more to you than than a failing memory that isn't so sharp anymore. There's more. There's far more to you than where you grew up and the background that you've had and, and the chances that, that you've lost and the opportunities that have gone. There's more to you. There's far, far more to you than all of the failures that, that sometimes your mind looks on and you feel downcast about. No, there's more to you than meets the eye, because now you are in Christ Jesus, and you have peace with God, and you've been justified by His blood. And that means that you're innocent. That means that you're free from all guilt. That means that you stand faultless before the throne of grace. That means that whenever you want, Day or night you have an audience with God and you can walk boldly into his throne of grace to obtain mercy in any type of any time of need. There's more, more, more to you than meets the eye. Just as I close today. I want to read to you from Romans 8. Well-known words, again, that marry and dovetail to what we've said this morning. Listen to Romans chapter 8, Paul's words from verse 31 through to verse 39. Paul says this so confidently as he looks out at life and what faces him. And all of the challenges that seem to be besetting him. He looks life square in the face. And he says this. What then shall we say to these things? What things? All of the things that he previously spoken about in chapter 8. All of the ups and downs of life. And all of its inconsistency and troubles that he brings. He says what shall we say concerning these things? He says this this is what I'm going to say to them. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one can bring a charge against God's elect because they are holy, blameless, standing without fault or flaw, or failing before him eternally. No, there isn't anybody that can bring a charge against God, God's elect. It is God who justified. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who has died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession. Hallelujah. I tell you something now, Jesus... Hallelujah! Jesus, I tell you, Jesus didn't go to heaven into the presence of of the Father to be inactive or apathetic about your life. Even in heaven, he's appealing. Even in heaven, he's making intercession for you. Even in heaven, he stands as the eternal advocate before the throne of grace to, to plead our case in relation to what He has done, He makes intercession for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us? You've got peace with God, established by your faith in Jesus, who has justified you? Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more. See, there's more to you than meets the eye. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, or powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet and just applaud the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He was delivered up for our our offenses and our sins, and He was raised for our justification. Hallelujah. Therefore, therefore, we are justified by faith in His finished work, and we have peace with God. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your presence in this place today. We thank You, O oh Jesus, as we have looked at Your Word and magnified Your name. O oh Lord, we thank You that Your Spirit has spoken to us in, in, in our hearts and Your Spirit has assured us from Your Word that we stand holy, blameless, without fault. We thank You for the peace, the ever ever increasing peace that we have with you. We thank you that we can never be separated from this love, this love of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, as your people, we stand faultless before your throne of grace. So as we go from this place today, before we sing, Lord, I pray over your people that that this word would settle in their heart, that it would deepen, that it would broaden, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened as to the riches of grace that we have in Christ Jesus. And we would truly realize that there is more to us than meets the eye. And all God's people said...